1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Welcome
2: to Live, Love, Thrive, Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you, of course, by 360karma.com. And uh, as you probably know, we are very excited to have on the Time Magazine Person of the Year, Dr. Jerry Brown from 2014, and how he impacted uh, stopping the spread of Ebola. And my guest, Kimberly Moore of the Kimberly Moore Foundation, is back with us, so I'm very excited to have them back on today. And then later in the show, uh, we are going to have... some incredible filmmakers who are also making a big difference in the world, Vanice Reeder and Amy Siegel, so stay tuned for that. Uh, next week, we have Paula Chichachi, who is uh, the CEO of Outward Media. And also, uh, we're going to have Mamda Val- Valderrama, who uh, wrote the book called Woman in Tra- Girl in Traffic. And uh, that's going to be a very riveting story. You're not going to want to miss them. And if you don't want to miss any of our shows, of course, be sure to follow us on YouTube and your podcast on iHeart and uh, iTunes under Live, Love, Thrive. So for today's show... Please give a warm welcome to Dr. Jerry Brown and Kimberly Moore. Hi. So Good glad morning. to have you here. I know you're in from Liberia and you are giving us this beautiful, rare opportunity to get to interview you. Um, you are such an amazing man, and you're sitting beside another amazing woman who I call the uh, Mother uh, Mother Teresa of the 21st century. Wow. That, that's what I call this lady. Uh, if anybody missed the show last week... Um, or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. she uh, Kimberly was on, and she is the young lady that created the Kimberly Moore Foundation, who uh, also has Adopt-A-Letter yes. uh, that answers the wishes of children who write to Santa. She's answered 40,000 of those. Can Is this, like, unimaginable? It is to <laughs> me. And now she adopts countries, and that's how the two of them met. I'm just trying to set up how you two know each other. Um, and she did Adopt-A-Country. And Liberia, where Dr. Brown is from, is uh, one of the countries that she just adopted last year. Uh, They're helping put in um, infrastructure so they can be sustainable there with Mm -hmm. water. And you have a big focus on education for women, which is awesome because, of course, Women and children. Women and and children. That's what our show is about. Um, So I want to talk about that, Mm -hmm. but first, of course, uh, I want to talk to you, Dr. Jerry, about. your long road to how you got to where you are and, and this situation that happened uh, in your country that, you know, was so well known around the world. In fact, uh, the fact that you had such an impact on the spread of uh, Ebola, um, and, and and of course that's why you were chosen uh, for the very prestigious, you know, uh, person of the year with Time Magazine. How did that feel?
3: And 100 influential men in the world. Oh my gosh.
2: Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, in wow. Time Magazine. So yeah. I, I know you had some very humble beginnings you were ex- uh, sharing with me.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you, it's a pleasure being on your show today. I feel honored being here today. And uh, yes, uh, it came as a surprise, uh, quite frankly, uh, but we were happy and to know that others were able to recognize our effort mm-hmm. and to some extent uh, make our effort known to others. Yes. yes. that's. Yes. It's nice so, to be recognized yes. when uh-huh.
2: you do something, you and, know, that's uh, really uh, yes, I- so. incredibly trailblazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: So,
2: um, and but you we were, were
4: just in our little corner thinking yeah. we were executing our duty as we ought to. Yes. It was not uh, looking out for recognition. or no. it was like, right. no, this is what I have to yeah, do. Yeah. That was just mm-hmm. like I need to a wonderful knife. perk mm-hmm. that, you know, someone that's, recognized yes. it.
2: Yeah. Someone, Time Magazine. Time magazine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you were explaining to me that in your uh, in the village you've grown up in, mm-hmm. uh, Monrovia it's yes. called.
4: Yes, in Sinkum. And, and
2: uh, that your dad was a painter and uh, really couldn't afford to put you through school. So you actually, in your early years, went and lived with a cousin so that you could go to school. Yes, sure. yes. Because he he knew education was important.
4: Yes, yeah. yes. My father realized that he never had the financial capability to. Send uh, out of us to school. I mean, I'm the fourth out of eight siblings, mm-hmm. and uh, sent me out to someone else, and that's how I got my formal education. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember at any one time throughout my life where my family uh, directly supported me in school at any one time. So it was okay. all from uh, others coming in to help me at right. some point in time.
2: Is that like kind of the norm in your country for uh, family and friends to help each other like that? Is that your culture?
4: Yes, that's I would, that I would say yes, it's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. We tend to reach out to others who are not able to afford. Like currently, uh, being able to get where I am, I'm now reaching out to other siblings, uh, other family members and see how I can get some into university, get some into high school, and encouraging others to learn and get somewhere as well.
2: I love that. Make they sense. must really look up to you.
4: A lot of yeah. people are looking up yeah. to <laughs> you. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> and me, yeah. Yeah,
2: and me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, I know you told me that uh, you first went and lived with the cousins and then came back. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to actually then, when you were in your town, walk an hour to school every day and back in mm-hmm. order to continue your education. Yeah. I mean, just I, I'm just sharing this because some people don't know what some people go through to get an education. Um, and then there was the Civil War that broke out in your country, and they closed mm-hmm. the university for yes. a while, mm-hmm. for four years. That kind of sidetracked your career. Mm-hmm. and uh, And then eventually you end up... Uh, yes, I know uh, you had p- political aspirations but then decided to be yes, a doctor. Yes, decided
4: to be a, yeah, chose to be a doctor. I, I, I actually, my political ambition was uh, getting to the public sector and perhaps uh, someday being able to vie for the presidency. And my goal there was primarily to see how I could uh, help people in their uh, destitute position. Mm -hmm. See how I could improve the lifestyle or the livelihood of people around me. But when I studied the political situation in my country, and realized that despite what you did, you still uh, might have uh, maybe killed you like the, the, the person I had as my role model was just slaughter. I said, no, 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 no. I think I need to find another profession. where I can possibly positively have impact in the life of people. And there is where I chose medicine as the second option. And then I followed my uh, study at the EMWRT College in Liberia and took eight years for a five-year program. I read that. Yes, wow. Um, That's dedication. You really wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, a lot of a, a lot yeah. of my colleagues who entered medical school with me at that time kind of gave up because of the long term sure. and the delay and felt. uh we're getting older. When are we going to right. get out of school? Before well, maybe we you're getting older, but I'm yeah. not.
2: But,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was challenging. but uh, It's hard to today. believe you
2: put in all those years because you don't look old enough to have put ah, in all those so years. Praise yeah, <laughs> <laughs> God for
4: His grace. I mean, people often say, you look younger than your age. I say, well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to manage him, but uh, to God be the glory. That's so, because you're doing good work, though. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And once you became a doctor, uh, <laughs> you became the director of this the, the
4: Hospital. Hospital, internal love winning Africa. Right.
2: And mm-hmm. three months into it.
4: Yes, just three e- months when I e- was appointed medical director, then Ebola
2: came. The Ebola came right then. Yes, wow. Did. Welcome to medicine and, and being a doctor. Yeah, huh? I, ju- I just yeah.
4: returned from my postgraduate study in Cameroon. Uh Studying as a, got my master in general surgery. Mm-hmm. And then got back and all of a sudden. Wow. My very first mm-hmm. job and position. Uh Encounter Ebola.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let me digress for a second. The uh-huh. the two of you just won an award uh, here in uh, yeah. not too far in Denver mm-hmm. yeah. uh, called the Loop Award, which is um, leaders leaders
3: Overcoming obstacles, obstacles for peace. peace. Yes.
2: and you both won that, which is really cool. I'm so happy mm-hmm. to have you both here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to talk about is when the Ebola happened three months into your being the director there. Yes. What was your first step in, in handling this? Because um, obviously the whole world was watching uh, to see what was going to be next, uh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you handle it? You were explaining to me, you know, how you were figuring well, out
4: well, uh, when what were the first the, steps. The very first thing, we were looking at the trend of events in our neighboring country, in Guinea, Sierra Leone, where we had already a large number of cases starting. people, And we're looking at the rapid rate at which the disease did spread in those countries. Mm-hmm. And so we were, when we heard about that, our goal was to set up a plan, put in the mechanism and be ready so that just in case we had a, a patient turning at, at a hospital with the disease will be able to one, isolate you or mm-hmm. two, Find a way of transporting you wherever the government would have set up. Right. Yes, yeah, so that was our initial plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, how we protect ourselves and right. patients coming in our doorstep. But it turned out that our holding unit that we set up at the hospital turned out being the first treatment unit in the capital. And because we had, we could not wait for the building of a formal structure or tents as. Uh, it's often done during mm-hmm. an Ebola outbreak, and I hope we all could learn from that, that we could make use of existing structure and right. begin to tackle the disease. Rather than waiting. our hands and right. waiting for our partners to come from abroad, to come and build fabulous things that were so costly. Right. Right. And most of the resources would have been used for, directed for other things, that right. I felt. And uh, use those structure, I mean, the structures that we use We've gone back to using them in a normal way. Our kitchen is is currently being used for right. cooking, and we we'll go there to eat.
2: But but here you were treating patients in the kitchen and yes, in, the kitchen, in places yeah. that normally wouldn't be because you needed to have space, space. and yeah.
4: Yes, yeah, so we just yeah, uh, an restructured influx of those, a lot of people, right? Restructure those those, yeah. those structures and then turn out to be uh, suitable places for treatment.
3: I think I think you started with what four hospital beds. And then yeah, happened. we started with
4: the chapel, which, uh, which where we had only six beds, and then uh, I came to a point where we were waiting for the patient to die before having another person admitted. And guy. then we said, Wow! So, the mm-hmm. number of the rapidity at which our people were getting infected was kind of mm-hmm. on an exponential basis, and so I we had to move. i can't
2: imagine the pressure you were under with these numbers growing and more and more people coming and yet you're your doctors and your nurses a lot of them did not want to treat these patients because I mean let's face it this was like a life or death situation sometimes in treating these patients I mean as people can see in your uh, time magazine picture uh, you had to wear the garb to protect yourself and I mean you have a family you were putting yourself at risk to um, treat these people but you felt like your humanity of taking care of them as a doctor was more important but uh, i mean explain to me how that felt well
4: uh, uh, i think the first place i will i will i would start from is that once uh, you decide to choose a career you must have one passion for the career you've, you've chosen and uh, know there are challenges are uh, mm-hmm. involved in whatever career you've, you've, you've chosen, right? And so, for some of us, we felt uh, we had a disease on here, and we won't. We, the, the military won't be the right people to come to take care of it. We couldn't call the accountant to come to take right. care of it. There right. was there was medical personnel that ought to stand up to the course. Right. It was risky. We saw our colleague dying. I do agree, mm-hmm. but if we all ran away, way, I mean. Yeah. The disease would have continued to spread right. more rapidly and would have lost more lives. So, despite our intervention, many persons still die. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it it, it was it was it was troubling. Uh, our fam- some of our family members stopped coming to our homes because we're, because of, of of the of the work we found ourselves engaged in. Uh, some of our colleagues stopped coming around us because we mm-hmm. were involved in. Uh, such activity, wow. uh, some spou- some 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 of the staff at the unit spouses put them out of the house
2: oh my because gosh. the
4: nurse wow. chose to work in the unit. Right. I mean, and and, 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 and and many things happened behind the scenes that others yeah. did not know about. There right. were several occasions where a husband of some of the nurses came to me and asked me to put their wife out of the place and ask them not to work,
0: right.
4: and and say if right. if 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 anything happened to their wife or happen to the hospital, I'll be here responsible. Right. But uh, we 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 today give glory to God that none of the staff was ever, I mean, ever died from the disease because it would have been more challenging to face right. the spouses of these workers and right. say, uh, I'm sorry. It would it, have been very difficult to do such a thing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. and people don't realize what unsung heroes you and your staff were and and what you really put at risk like you're saying and you know you're saying family members friends you know disowned them or didn't want to be around them and hey that's that's a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. um and so what what turned the tide like here you had all these people coming in and really basically every one of them that was contracting it was, was dying, right? But then what was the turn when all of a sudden you, you were able to actually have people walking out that came in with it but lived through it and it started to to turn that tide? What, what, how do you explain that or share that with our audience?
4: <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I would say first it was a collective effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our input and our international partner came and we had a different aspect where different groups were doing different things. We had people doing community mobilization. So the community were first convinced or made the community to accept the fact that Ebola existed. Mm-hmm. because that was our first challenge. Yes. The community refused to accept that we had such disease in the country. Mm-hmm. But when it got to understand, they had a better perception of what we were dealing with, right. they began to respond positively. Mm-hmm. Secondly, when uh, people realized that uh, not everyone coming to the unit or to the Ebola treatment unit who died of the disease mm-hmm. or could possibly live mm-hmm. then they begin to leave the community and start coming to the treatment unit for uh treatment mm-hmm. because initially they they or what we put out there through the press initially was if once you, you, got you got Ebola, it, Ebola you were gonna die. that's the end of right. it so Coming to the Ebola treatment unit meant a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to come to, to the hospital or treatment unit when you know you're going to die anyway. Right. So they chose to go to Adler traditional healers Mm-hmm. or go to the churches for prayer. Right. And, and that wasn't enough. That was No, that led to the spread of the disease right. further. Right. Because right. the pastors began to lay hands mm-hmm. and pray, and they too started getting infected. Right. The traditional healer wrapping their chalks, and they too started getting right. infected. And people begin to run away from the capital to the rural right. parts, right. looking for right. souls where they could find right. uh, an answer right. to the problem. It and,
2: reminds me a little bit of AIDS here in the okay, U.S., mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. where so, uh, people didn't want to get tested. They didn't want to know. But now, you know, then we educated the public, and now they know if they get tested, mm-hmm. they can treat it. Mm-hmm. And so similar, yes. similar so when, situation. When, when,
4: when we started, uh, it came. It, it was in early August that uh, we sat down and said, look, everyone can continue to die from the disease. Ah, we need to do something. Right. So I and my physician assistants, we got together and begin to just read a random, I am um, hell, this is a, uh, RNA virus in a way. What do we know about RNA virus? Let's right. just, anything we can use on RNA viruses, Right. let's bring it on board and see what does it make any sense. And then begin to cater to primarily the viral signs and symptoms these patients were presenting with. Primarily we thought to cater to as much as possible attend to shock. Mm-hmm. We never have much investigatory capability to know what was the at uh, end stage of the disease that mm-hmm. were actually giving rise to these patients dying mm-hmm. until late December, before we managed to get a few hours start through our research partners, before we got to know mm-hmm. that renal failure mm-hmm. and was one of the primary cause of many of these patients dying. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, because we, they were presented with shock, mm-hmm. and we then begin to give aggressive fluid resuscitation. Right. And we realized things begin to change gradually, mm-hmm. and then uh, before our partners like WHO and others came in, then we had to adapt a treatment guideline for Liberia. Mm-hmm. Yes, looking at what we were already doing, and then uh, we had a few meetings, discussing, sharing what we were doing at our various centers. Right, and then uh, others begin to follow. But uh, when we realized uh, by the middle of August that people lifestyle began to change and people started responding to mm-hmm. whatever empirical treatment we started giving them. Then we said, ah, we think we should continue this because right. we begin to see a change. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, that's when we then called the press. And on this we were discharging patients, we were shaking their hands because stigmatization in the community mm-hmm. was another problem. Right. Uh, as this patient were, 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 were discharged, Right. They were rejected in their homes. Their family did not want to see them again. So we begin to shake hands with them, right. showing that if they were safe yes. for us, if right. they, were, they were posing danger to the community, right. we wouldn't shake their hands. Right, so we and that's shake their hands. much the
2: same as HIV, right? Yes. People yeah. didn't want to shake their no, hands. No, no. So right. all right. the world was kind of looking at how you were handling it mm-hmm. and how you turned it around and then started to follow suit. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, so from there which to Which makes sense why you all were featured no, no. in the... Uh, well
4: we 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 were just thinking about saying how best we could help
2: right but it's and nice not, that it, someone like, recognized what you yes, did I mean. and today was, uh, pretty much of a miracle really uh, that turnaround
4: well, why it's yeah. true we're 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 working helping to save life it wasn't yeah. living in fear every day right and mm-hmm. perhaps having at the back of your mind that in the next day or week, you two could die. Yes. So that's how we...
2: Right. There's an incentive. Yes. (laughs) I mean... So yeah. the two of you uh, are, are working together on this uh, infrastructure in the uh, well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, building we are, building up the village with uh, water, so the girls don't have to fetch it every day, and yes. uh, and that way they can have the time to get educated. Uh, the women and children.
3: Yeah. The yeah. majority of the girls are not allowed to go to school because right. they have to stick with African tradition. Uh, the women are told that they have to collect water and. Um, get married marriage, at like
2: uh, 10,
3: 11 years old, some yeah, of them, that, right? Don't so. you agree that that cultural
2: uh, thing needs to change in your country? Are you on board with that? Well,
4: definitely it yeah. needs to change, but uh, it's going to take some time because, yes. um, you know, uh, the availability of uh, jobs for yes. uh, most of the the girls or children, their parents, is, mm-hmm. is, is one challenge. Uh, even those that I employ, the salary skill is so poor. Right. I, mean, I mean, imagine having a dollar. Yes. Uh, is almost like a salary for some. And then right. where are you going to get at uh, looking at uh, transportation, looking at school salary mm-hmm. fees? But don't you think it starts renting. with um,
2: educating them so that they can go to university and and then, and then start businesses that maybe employ others and, yes. you know, it's like building that well,
3: infrastructure not, foundation so that it. it can change. That's it. That's and not it. Like that, I mean, Liberia has one of the highest infant mortality rates in the world, one of the oh. highest maternal mortality rates in the world, and um, so I think that by uh, keeping the girls involved in, in secondary education all the way up from primary to secondary will actually decrease all of that right, right. because then now sure. they can refuse unsafe sex right right so you also decrease the whole AIDS pandemic that's also going on right. as well and we'll be able to decrease infant mortality and maternal mortality as well too right. and women make a decision when they want to get married right and right. then we also have a decrease in children right right because then now they choose how many children that they do want to have right but and also, start having
2: them at 20 instead of yes. 15 or yeah yeah
3: but also the um, the majority of the, the, pe- the girls that graduate Um, usually end up becoming entrepreneurs or they get involved in their community and um, and they end up empowering um, their girls to go to school. So the cycle continues. Right, and it
2: builds over generations. And yeah, It's just the beginning and you two are the catalyst to that in that area. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's very exciting because people will sit home and think, how can I possibly impact the world? And here it is, two people together joining forces you know, making such a significant difference in one village in the country that affects thousands of people, right?
4: Mm-hmm. right. And, and
2: so people can make a difference. They can
3: get behind Kimberly Moore Foundation to support what you're doing. And ND Hope, ND Hope, we and, are and, working, there are partners, Norman Ebenezer, I think I mentioned him on the show, because right. we adopted his letter to help um, Liberia, right? Because only 13% right. of children have access to schools. That's it.
2: Right. And Indy Hope is the one that gave you all the Loop uh, Loop Awards, awards, right, which is, again, leadership uh, overcoming obstacles uh, for peace. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What a great endeavor. Yeah. So, well, no grass is growing under you two. (laughs) <laughs> have you
3: heard that American expression
2: no, no <laughs> but I want to say one thing a lot of the
3: kids that are, are in the village lost their parents due to the Ebola virus right. so we oh. have a lot of displaced children so wow. not only are we we doing you know we are trying to empower girls in the village to go to school oh, but you know we're building orphans. yeah so we're building a, a safe um, a girl friendly school so basically they're for boys and girls but actually keeps it a, a, just a safer environment but it actually supports the girls oh, along I the way that. so I yeah.
2: love that yeah. Well, I hope people listen and get behind this effort. Um, I know I'm going to continue to uh, t- tell anybody who will listen about both adopt a and uh, Kimberly Moore Foundation. And, and, .org and, and a,
3: ndhope.org.
2: ndhope.org. Mm-hmm. ND, and what does nd stand for? A
3: New Dimension of Hope.
2: A New Dimension of Hope. Don't we need that?
3: <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. So
2: what's, uh, what's on your agenda now? Uh, Anything? new aspirations besides helping with this foundation?
4: Well, uh, one of the uh, challenges we continue to have in Liberia has to do with uh, still being able to provide basic health services. Uh, The irony about everything is that during the outbreak, our partners came running in and helping to curtail the situation. Right. By the end, a lot of them fled and gone back to their respective countries and what have you. But some of the challenges we had from the beginning are still existing. Like uh, human resource development is still a big challenge. For example, the role I former myself playing should ought to have been done by an infectious disease consultant or specialist. Right. Yes, but here I am a surgeon taking over an infectious disease. And so the need for training people in that area is still in there in hr yeah. y- yes okay, well it it's sounds still to there. me
2: like get these girls the water yes, so, so they can we can educate yeah, right? them yes, so they can be hr directors it. to there we go we've solved it yeah so that's one of the reasons why when she asked
4: me to join yeah. her without any hesitation i decided to come and see how i can help primarily so that we can go back to those children because any of them could grow up becoming another Bryan in the future. Another one could grow up and become scientists tomorrow or even do much better than we have done. Yes. Okay. But if they are left in their current status, yes, they tend to die with their brain. They Absolutely. tend to go down yeah. the drain There's So much untapped brain power definitely. in those children. Yes. yes.
3: And these yes. kids are ambitious. Okay. If yes. you go to the schools, yes. we would ask them, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And every kid said, I want to be president. I, I want, to, want be to be a, a doctor, doctor. Right? Yes. Yeah. I want I to be a pilot and that's what they keep pilot. saying. Yeah.
2: That's great. They have um, those dreams and yes. uh, that, that you all are doing something to move them yeah. toward reaching those dreams mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I love about the show. I loved uh, us talking about how everybody can, mm-hmm. can can be chipping in to make a difference. And, no, and uh, thank
3: you, and you're making a big difference on your <laughs> show. Oh, <laughs> and I'm just really honored to be on your show, especially the second so, time. Thank I know, you're my first yeah. guest to
2: come back twice. I'm thrilled. <laughs> and Dr. So, Jerry, so nice to have you. Thank you so Welcome much to the US again. and glad to have you here. You two just keep doing amazing magic things thank that you're you. doing and uh, our listeners Definitely. will hopefully step up to the plate and, and start uh, getting involved with your foundation or other foundations because we can all make a difference. One thing,
3: you can actually text to GIVE so you can Oh, I love that. Text the word GIVE to 48421.
2: 48421.
3: Text GIVE, the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 48421. And that yes. money goes to? It goes to helping us build infrastructure for children's education. And girl friendly schools in Liberia. So. I love it. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank and you. Uh, I hope to have you both back again. Okay. Thank you so Thank
2: much. Thank you very yeah. much. And we will be right back with our two fabulous filmmakers, Venice and Amy. See you in a few minutes.
1: The Live, Love, Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of Downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women.
2: Amy Siegel and Vanice Reeder. Welcome, ladies. Boy, I I know that was a tough act to follow, right? Oh, boy, those people are doing amazing work, aren't they? Mm -hmm, Uh, But you two fall in that category, too. Uh, I can't wait to talk about your films and the endeavors that you guys are involved in. Do you know, I always try to look at uh, what my uh, guests have in common, and you both have had uh, interesting uh, touches with the Midwest. Mm. Yeah, so I know you were born here in L.A., but you went to school in Wisconsin. And you actually were born... uh, in, in the in, midwest yes in, in indiana right yes
0: mm-hmm. yeah indy 500.
2: yeah <laughs> so embarrassingly you both have that in common no i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 i'm just kidding <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheese I'm I've been proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know you loved it right you i went?
1: love the Midwest. yeah yeah,
2: yeah. wisconsin a went to dance uh a dance
1: major right dance major yeah oh, do wow. you still love dancing i still love dancing okay all right. Well,
2: we uh, might make you dance. Yeah, no. do a little demo <laughs> Nothing. later. Nothing will put you on the spot. Right. <laughs> Here, let's clear them the desk. desk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so you're both filmmakers, which, of course, I love being a <laughs> filmmaker myself. And uh, I, I love that we have in common that we've both done films on gay marriage. So um, I actually had the person who's the focus of your film, Freedom to Marry, Evan Wolfson, who is like the Mr. Gay Marriage I mean, he is the reason probably that we have gay marriage or one of the big reasons. Um, And he was also in my film, I Can't Marry You, that was hosted by Ellen's mom, Betty DeGeneres. And uh, yours, of course, is now that mine was a a decade ago before we had marriage. But uh, yours is out now. And um, and yours is about how we got the right to uh, have gay marriage um, through the Supreme Court. and, And that's featured in the film, right? Yep. So it, it's a fascinating film. It's about to be out at the um, theaters. And, it was just uh, in
1: theaters. It's now out on oh. Video On Demand, iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play.
2: Oh, my God. Cool. I love that. You know, yeah. I get most of my movies now on either Amazon or Netflix. Uh, You're
1: not alone. Yeah. I, I think most people do. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, another friend I had had a film out at the uh, theaters, and we just w- saw it on Netflix. So that's great that you got it on that. I think that's a more important distribution today than the theaters, because mm. more people will see it obviously on Amazon than on uh, you know out at the theater. Don't you think? I think yeah, so. Yeah. I do
1: think there's something special when we can yeah. get people to the theater. To I have love it. I personally has been love it. yeah. Very different people boo when they you know see the anti gay marriage yeah. folks, they yes. cheer. Um, at the win, you know they're cheering for Evan. They're cheering for the whole movement, and they're cheering for the 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 film being a good film. <laughs>
2: yeah, don't. and you know you might think, uh, oh, we have gay marriage. Why would I go see this film? Uh, it's kind of you know. And and by seeing it, I see that it's really important for people to understand how we got
1: there. I think even so yeah. more today than ever. I think more when we, today than when we ever. finished it in June. It didn't have s- quite the relevance it has now like a year later yes it's interesting we're, how that is, we're actually isn't it? trying to figure out where to go from here and this film actually op- offers an opportunity right. to figure out how you actually change the yeah. world now how interesting enough the topic
2: of your film is gay marriage You are not gay. I'm not gay. Venice, however, (laughs) is married to a woman. To a woman. (laughs) So that's kind of interesting.
0: Who apparently (laughs) we mimic uh, the couple from Rent, (laughs) Amy and I discovered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and I know you also have an interesting book coming out because the guy who, since you mentioned Rent, uh, that wrote Rent uh, was someone that you knew. You're writing a book uh, about his life or something? Yeah, I'm working on
1: writing a book um, that shares a bit about his story via the documentary filmmaker I work for was very close friends with Jonathan Larson Mm -hmm. and I kept hearing stories about Jonathan and I found them wildly informative and inspirational and instructive Mm -hmm. and so I just wanted to write some of those lessons down.
2: And he is the one that wrote Rent which is I think the the longest-running, most popular Broadway show in history or something? It's Is neither. It,
1: I I mean, oh, uh, I thought it was. It seemed like movie. it was there for like 100 years. It's like years. the ninth uh, longest-running. <laughs> okay. Well, you would know. You're right uh-huh. in the book. Right. <laughs> but it was the one that reinvigorated the musical industry. Mm-hmm. It changed Broadway. There's before Rent right. and after Rent and after Rent. It became a medium that young people and yeah. contemporaries could— and
2: you told me one interesting thing that I did not know was that he died, uh, the writer of it, before it ever hit Broadway,
1: like oh, the yeah, week well, before. The, oh, night. the night before it appeared at all, the night before a paying audience even wow. saw that Rent. gives me chills.
2: <clears throat> I imagine that most of our viewers have seen Rent either on Broadway or in a, a film format. They did it in a film format, didn't they?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did a
2: film um and it's it's uh, Well, why don't you tell us what it's about? Cuz you'd be better to s- give what, us a little synopsis <clears> than I rent would. What it's about? Yeah.
1: Sure. It's Cuz uh, you
2: said it's kind of about your story, right? Like you related to it. You I related to moved it. Moved to New York and
1: yeah. yeah, it's about a group of artists coming together to form community and it follows mm-hmm. a year in the life of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: in that community as they're struggling with the AIDS epidemic.
2: Right. Right.
1: So it's actually based off of the opera La Boheme, mm-hmm. which is tells a similar story. Now,
2: people might think, when we say that the writer of Rent died the night before it hit Broadway, that maybe he was HIV positive. But he wasn't. That right. was not the story, right? Which I, I I would have just assumed that the writer of it might have been writing his own story. But it's not the case. So this is a very informative conversation, I think, you know, about the background of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I think everybody assumes that uh, a man wrote a musical, he must be gay. And yeah. because yeah. he died, he must have had AIDS. You would that if that's What I yeah. find so cool about Jonathan Larson is that it wasn't him, but rather his best friend and several of his other friends that had uh, died of AIDS or were um, HIV positive right. and gay, that he had such empathy within him
3: mm-hmm.
1: that he was able to write about that um, struggle even though it wasn't his own.
2: So now I know what you two have in common. Because exactly. you shared with me I said why did you make a movie about gay marriage if you're not gay? <laughs> okay. And uh, you had shared with me being Jewish that you felt like you know, freedom for one is freedom for all. It's something that you probably created because of being Jewish that you have that empathy. Like, like I feel that way about all minorities because I'm gay. I feel like I have an empathy for for, for people that are uh, different or um, not mainstream. So would you say that yeah. was the kind I of- I feel
1: pretty strongly that, you know, um, that the point of all this is that even if you if it doesn't affect you, it does affect you. That if we're yes. not sticking up for each other, exactly. and we're only caring about the things that affect us directly, we're not going to be very successful. So if right. men only care mm-hmm. about men's issues, women only care about women's issues. We're not going to be we're not going to progress very far. So right, yes, one just for all and all for just one. Just because I'm not yeah. gay and yeah. uh, I like and I don't even have very <clears throat> many friends or family members that are gay, I still recognize that it's a human rights issue and. Mm-hmm that is something that affects me.
2: Right, right, I love that. It's nice that you have that empathy and that uh, you see that side of it, and that you've made this movie. Yeah, and Venice. Um, I know you have an interesting background. I said that briefly that you grew up in Indiana, um, and you know I always say uh, the obstacles that we have in our life is who shapes us to who we are today. Mm-hmm. And here you are doing great work and uh, doing everything from, you know, I know you've traveled the world singing and and you're a filmmaker and you work with the nonprofit that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but your beginnings were very tough. Uh, I know your mom uh, gave you up to your aunt and you lived in a house, a two bedroom room house with seven
0: kids right oh uh, yeah. yeah well she didn't give me up per yeah. se I she I'd live with my aunt while yeah. she went to college in California at Stanford right um and but it was a you know challenging, a, set, a, of yeah, circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. challenging set of circumstances yeah. yeah and I you know I didn't really you know that connection that childhood connection was a little bit skewed from there yeah due to that but right Right, you know it is. How many
2: years did you live in Indiana with your aunt?
0: um, You know what? I I think I might have only been with him maybe one or two years. Yeah. Yeah, it was a short stint, and then I came out and we lived in Berkeley for a bit, and Mm -hmm. then we came back to Indiana, Mm -hmm. which is really what shaped me because then I knew the difference that right the difference between the Midwest and the West, like everybody wasn't the same. And you know, that's where my revelations about black people as well is like, we're not all the same. Like, and so that helped me to understand like not all people are the same. And then that we're just people. And you have to, you know, relate to people on an individual basis, which, Kind of help mold. How was that cultural
2: difference? Like, was uh, Midwest not as welcoming as California, or not as hip as California? What What was the What was it that you noticed? As because you're an artist, yes. So yeah, it
0: was it was all of that. I mean, we were at that time. It was black and it was white. Um, Mm -hmm. We had one Vietnamese girl in the sixth grade, and Mm -hmm. you know, I remember all the little black girls were like, we're gonna go talk to her, and we walked up and she started talking. We're like, oh no, she's white, Ah. (laughs) you know, (laughs) and. So there was those kind of cultural blocks. And when I did come to California, it was like culture shock. Like seeing everybody you've seen on TV really represented and having to, you know, ask stupid questions, you know, about, you know, Chinese, your Chinese friends. Like, you know, eating a chicken or the, you know, they eat the eggs that have the the whole bird inside. Like that blew my mind. So, you know, that's all formed. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Indiana was very and it still is really backwards in a lot of ways. And um, that's one of the goals of my storytelling. I feel like I've been able to see the world from a different perspective. And I almost feel responsible that for those people who are, you know, still might be going through those cultural divides in Mm -hmm. the Midwest. uh, I owe it to them to say something about Mm -hmm. how i've seen it differently or how i experienced it
2: right and your beautiful film short uh being less is about your relationship with uh your uh, caucasian girlfriend Mm -hmm. that um and the struggles uh with her family being very religious and not you know accepting of gays and kind of saying hey it's you know uh, this or or it's either her or us and you know making people give that type of decision that still exists in this country very Prevalently today as you know, mm-hmm. yes, and uh, it was interesting to see your film short about that
0: Yeah, 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 it was quite an experience. I mean we both uh, learned a lot uh, in the process of mm-hmm. having to retell it which also really inspired me as a filmmaker like there's an empowerment when you have to like reconvey something that you're ex- experiencing and yeah, makes you, yeah, it's very yeah. cathartic. And um, just having to look at Christianity from that spe- that perspective, especially being in the West where you think they're everyone's so liberal and open and free and they're just not. Mm-hmm. And they're very quiet about their discriminating and um the just a lot how, of judgment, a lot of judgment going yeah. on. So you get on social media and it's like, oh, yeah, we support you. But in a text message to your phone or in a voicemail, I'm going to re- leave some really ugly comments, you know, that right. no one's going to hear about right. unless you say something. And you don't want to expose everybody's BS, but we do want to expose it. This is the experience that people are still having to walk through. Right. In embracing who they are. Right. You know, I'm just trying to live a full open life right which is what the movie's about
2: Mm -hmm. uh, freedom to marry um i know you make some really poignant points in it about you know love is love and Mm. why can't two people love each other what how does it impact other people is always the kind of mystery you know of why people don't want people to be able to have that union you know when i was making my movie i would have people say um I remember doing a radio interview, uh, and someone said to me, "What you're doing is uh, saying is blasphemous." And I said, "Well, how is that?" I said, "Because every atheist in this country is allowed to get married. It's not about religion; it's about love." And
1: you know, well, that's that's that was actually the turning point in the movement when they uh, initially started the movement, talking about people's rights and benefits mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. were attached to marriage. And then at a certain point, um, they did a survey and realized that straight people don't think of marriage as a contract or as a way of attaining these benefits, um, but rather as uh, a um, a merger. No, like an expression of love, Uh you know. And so then the movement sort of went, okay, we need to help people understand that gay people have the same love and commitment Mm -hmm. and want the same... Um, respect for their love that straight people do and so right. their whole messaging changed.
2: Hmm. Right Very yeah um, I, with uh, I Can't Marry You I was trying to uh, get people to understand that there were one thousand over 1,000 rights and benefits and protections that came with it everything from immigration to medical and that the, these were reasons also besides love to allow people to marry so they could visit their loved one in the hospital or share benefits or taxes or you know whatever and so um and that'll it was win an education over, process that'll win
1: over like good like progressive liberal people you right know? And but then not the, the and conservatives and the, yeah, yeah they're like 20 percent on the left you'll always have yeah. their vote and then 20 percent on the right you'll never get their vote right then there's like that middle 60 percent the reachable but not yet reached they call it right so right through Mm -hmm. them you have to get to their heart and not just their head i remember taking
2: my republican father to uh my film to a film festival in fort lauderdale where they were playing my film and afterwards i said well do you understand it better now and he goes oh yeah i understand love is love (laughs) yeah and i was like Yay. <laughs> yeah. I think we made some progress Stories here. Stories have that power. Yeah. yeah. And I think that,
0: tell them. that connection, too. Like, because I, I don't know if you guys seen the movie Get Out. Maybe I've heard about it. Okay. Yeah. Well, my experience meeting uh, my wife's father was similar to that. And I, he was not accepting at, at all. And when we met, you know, we had a r- racial barrier and the, the gay barrier to get through. Yeah, a little double whammy uh-huh, there. Yeah. yeah. And by the end of it, we had this moment. We were actually at, at an event and um, <laughs> he was excited about everything was going on. And we went to leave and he was like, all right, let's get out. And he put his arm up and then he caught himself and he put it down. And I said, no, 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 no. You were trying to hug me. I'm going in for the real thing. And I hugged him and I felt his body collapse into the hug and I felt the change. And it was like, this is, this is why (laughs) we have to share and be present because it will change that physical connection. All the senses got to get involved. Well, they always say when you actually know another person, it gets
2: rid of, uh, that fear that you have of Mm -hmm. them being different than you. And I believe that's so true. Yeah. Um, uh, and just real quick before we wrap up, um, the name of the uh, organization that you work with, uh, let's talk about that. Um, yes,
0: I work with the limit, the Limitless Initiative. Um, it, it started as the Limitless Academy. It's changed to the limit or was included the Limitless Initiative in order to bring in other um, communities around nationwide um, to get involved in helping the urban children in the urban sector learn robotics and be exposed to coding so and,
2: the, and these kids get to participate in the building of robotics yes. and compete mm-hmm. locally nationally internationally and yes. I, I just think that's really cool what you're doing so i wanted to mention that in case yeah. people
0: want to look that up. Yes, it's yeah. the, oh, the limitlessinitiative.org. Yeah. And yeah, if you can get involved and find out about it, like it's really, you see how it's molding and changing the kids and opening up their opportunities to be involved in the process, you know. And this
2: is about the STEM movement, right?
0: The yes, science the STEM, science, technology, technology uh, engineering, and mathematics. Yeah. And um, we also were with um, CS for All, which Obama started um, before, you know, he was out of office. Yeah. I miss you. <laughs> um, but. Just to get the sciences to the kids, so they not only use the apps, they know how to build them and take them to market.
2: I love that. Well, you guys are both making such a wonderful difference. Um, as I said in the first half of the show, uh, it does just take a single person or a group of us to, um, you know, make a difference in the world. And let's hope that everybody's uh, getting off the sidelines, getting off the couch, turning off the TV, and doing something that's meaningful, that's impacting other people's lives. And so, uh, if they want to see Freedom to Marry, uh, they can see it on Amazon.
1: And iTunes.
2: iTunes. And Google Play. And Google Play. Yep. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And uh, if they want to get a hold of the uh, Limitless, uh, initiative, it's Limitless, Limitless, Limitless Initiative, it's limitlessinitiative.org. And, and my f-
0: short film, the website is Being Less the beinglessthemovie.com. Being Less the Movie. Thank
2: you both so much. You're both incredible filmmakers, and I'm honored to have you both on. Keep making great films. Love women films. (laughs) Okay, everybody, make it a great week. Go out, make a difference. Hugs and happiness.